Here's my question this morning as I start out. Do you ever pray for things, like really get before God's throne, and you pray for things filled with faith, filled with courage? Man, you, you are a, you're praying with a supernatural faith. You're in tune with God. You're in connection with God. You're in a relationship with God. And you pray, and then when he gives you the answer, the answer isn't the answer that it looked like in your mind. And then what do you do? You run away. You pout. You sulk. You act like that this God that you were in such relationship with during the prayer time, that now he's no longer involved in your life. That he somehow is tending to other business. That he no longer loves you as much as when you were sitting in your prayer chair asking him for all those things. Or how many times do we have a strong group of Bible-believing Christians in our core inner circle that maybe we pray with? And then we ask them for some biblical scriptural advice and they give it to us. And we don't listen because it's not the answer that we wanted. Hey, I, I hate to admit this, like, we, we do this all the time, right? We do this all the time. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a man in the Old Testament that at the beginning of the story, he does just this. And it's a story of a man, he was in need of answers. He was in need of healing. He was in need of a breakthrough. And much like us in those situations, when we need healing, when we need strength, when we need a breakthrough, when we need God to intervene, what do we want? We want it in our time. We want a quick fix. We want an easy remedy. We think that he should answer us now and right the way we want it just because we have some sort of social status or something that is somehow important, whether it's fame or wealth or, or influence or power. And we hold these certain assumptions when we pray of, hey, this is my prayer. This is what the answer should be. And we've already answered the prayer in our minds ahead of time. And when it doesn't come out that way, we're all confused. And sometimes what happens is, in in the story that we're going to get to in a moment, God gives us the answer. But because it doesn't look and feel like what we wanted the answer to be, we reject the idea. And there's a story in the book of 2 Kings, and it's the story of Naaman. And not many people have maybe heard of Naaman, but he's there. I'll prove it to you. We'll read the scripture in a, in a little bit. But he was, he was a military commander. He was a commander of one of the greatest and most powerful armies of his day in Syria. He was a brave man. He, he, was, a, he was a soldier. He, he was a man's man. He was extremely successful and had many victories in war, so he was held in high esteem by not just the people, but also the king. And as a matter of fact, the author of 2 Kings, he he attributes Naaman's greatness and success to the sovereignty of God. He was a man of power. Naaman was a man of wealth. Naaman was a man of influence. He was an admired hero. But he also had leprosy. And leprosy, back in the day, was a picture of sin. The people would have thought there's something that he's doing in his life 
that caused that terrible disease. Because back in that, de- that day, it was, it was shunned. It was disgraced. Everybody knew it, including Naaman, that he had no hope for his situation other than a supernatural healing from God. And here's the story. If you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn to the Second Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And we're going to le- read a fairly long set of scriptures, so stay with me. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive girl, young girl, from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, and her master was Naaman, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And a side note, that would have been about three, three and a half million dollars in today's money. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of his Lord God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not just wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet, who was Elijah, had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of a God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. There is a lot going on in this story. There's a lot going on in this story. What's interesting, it all starts with the passion of a servant girl. The passion of a servant girl who had a supernatural confidence in her God. 
that he could do remarkable healings. And what's interesting, that, that Naaman takes her at her word. He's actually all in on this. And then he goes to a foreign land, and he sees, and he, and he, and he goes to the person, and then he goes to Elijah, and Elijah says, I, I really don't have time. I'm going to send my messenger. Where Naaman was thinking, what was he thinking? He was thinking, I'm going to Elisha, this great man of God, and he's going to do this supernatural healing. Well, that wasn't God's plan for the moment. It was different. And what does Naaman do? He initially storms off because it's not the way that he assumed God was going to heal him. My point here is he admittedly had some issues. He admittedly made some wrong decisions on eventually the way to his healing. But I believe for us this morning, I believe that Naaman does some remarkably practical things that I think we can learn from today in order to experience the supernatural healing and the supernatural experience with a God who formed us and molded us and created us. And what's interesting about this story, there's many storylines going on. You just look at the two main characters, the servant girl and Naaman. Naaman was a great man. She, She was a captured servant. He was from Syria. She was an Israelite. He was a commander. She was was a captive. He had fame and fortune and influence. She had none of that. She was in a foreign territory. She was away from home with, with basically nothing. But what's interesting is, again, this is a story that God shows to us that many times he uses the weakest person in the story to humble us many, many times. But here's what I want to talk about today. Naaman, for all his faults, in all that I've set this up so far, he must have done something right. There must have been something special about the way Naaman moved through this situation. There must have been something different about how he handled his circumstance. And I'm going to fast forward to a simple scripture in Luke 4.27 that is going to prove my point, and then we're going to move backwards. Luke chapter 4, verse 27. And it says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So what does this tell us? This tells us that back there, there was, there was many people in Israel. There was many people that had this disease of leprosy while Elisha the prophet was around. Many of them. There was one guy. One guy that was healed. Why is that? And again, he he must have been doing something different. Somewhere along the line, with all of his bad decisions, hey, that we all make, right? I'm talking to somebody. Of all those bad decisions, he had to make a few right ones on the way to his healing. 
if he was the only guy. But and I know we read the scripture, but let's, let's, let's look at this story again. Because sometimes we read a, a, a Bible story, a biblical account of something, and we just read it and glance over it and say, boy, that sounds good. Man, what a remarkable story. This guy had leprosy and, 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 and he was healed. That's awesome. It's kind of like at home, you're watching a movie. It's just like, it's not real, right? Now, that stuff's not real. But in this situation, this was real. This was, Naaman was a real dude. The servant girl was a real servant girl. She was really captured. It's, these are real things in real people's lives. So picture this. This is, what, this is the real situation. You have Naaman, the commander of this great army in Syria. He calls on his troops to go invade Israel. And while you're there, what happens in war? You, you, you bring back captives. So while they're there invading Israel, doing whatever they're doing, and they bring back captives, she's captured. It's not like this servant girl was just like, maybe, you know, she was like the, the, the chief volunteer of Naaman's, you know, where the church, local church he went to. No, she was a captive. She was someone who was captured. And yet she has so much confidence in her God and again, I know I'm belaboring this point. Like, she's captured. She's the enemy. She turns out to be the servant of Naaman's wife. She goes to her and says, hey, I know a guy who can heal your husband. Like, like that takes some courage. That takes some confidence. And a supernatural God. And Naaman, what does Naaman do? Naaman says, okay, sounds good to me. I'm going to listen to this servant girl. I mean, when you think about it, just that, that's a small part of the story, but just think that, that is remarkable. He's taking some positives, then he gets there, and he's like, all right, man, this is working out great. I'm going to see Elijah. And what is he expecting? The scripture says, he says, I expect Elijah to come out, both hands raised, calling on your supernatural God, and I'm going to be healed. And that doesn't happen. So he basically storms off and says, this is crazy. But then he has this inner circle of people that basically is naming, dude, if Elijah would have said it, would you have done it? But here's what's interesting about this story. Is that there had to be a key to Naaman's healing. There had to be a key to his breakthrough. And I think some of these things that we're going to talk about here in a moment, we can use those in our own individual life. Because we all... I don't care what situation you're in right now. We all need some sort of healing. We all need some sort of breakthrough. And you may not need a physical healing, but you may need a, a mental healing. You may need a spiritual healing. N nobody's made it yet, right? 
We're, we're, we're not living a life of perfection. We are going to be, and I know it sounds, I don't know, maybe, maybe too big because I, I use words like breakthrough, but everybody needs a breakthrough. And everybody needs a constant breakthrough. We serve a God that knows us intimately. We're never going to, we're probably never going to know all of really what God has for us because we're fallible human beings. But we can learn things, I believe, from Naaman. So what was the key to his healing? What is God trying to tell us through this story? And I think that's a, that's a great way to read Scripture when we're reading Scripture and we're understanding these biblical truths. Reading Scripture in this way. When I read this, what is God trying to teach me right now? Well, what is God trying to show me that I can use in my life right now? The title of my message this morning is Why was Naaman different? Why was Naaman different? Because on some level, like Luke 4, 27 says, he was the one person that got healed. Something, something had to be different. Number one, he was proactive. He was proactive. He took his life, his healing, his breakthrough into his own hands. Hey, he was the commander of one of the strongest armies. He could have said, even when the servant girl came to his wife, he could have said, well, hey, I am way too busy. I have way too many men underneath me. I have too much responsibility. If, if your God that you're telling me about can heal me, I, I don't need to go to him. He can come to me. He was proactive about his breakthrough. And again, he, he made some bad decisions, but he also made good decisions as well. He was always trying to move things forward. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he once had, he's got many quotes, right? But one of his quotes, he's like, if you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, just crawl. If you can't crawl, whatever you have to do, keep moving. Keep moving. And that's kind of like a, a short little synopsis of what our life with Christ would be like. Hey, maybe, maybe we're not filled with this spiritual passion all the time, right? Hey, life goes in seasons, right? Maybe you're not, maybe you're not this on-fire Christian all the time, but you can't put you in a place where you're always moving towards Christ. This is what Naaman did. He was proactive. He had, he had courage to take the next step. And sometimes I think in this, this proactive state of being that we have to be in as Christians, I think sometimes what we lack is courage. And here's what we say, and please listen to me carefully on this. Don't take this out of context. Here's what we say as Christians, because this is a nice, easy, flowery way to say it. When we get into these situations and say, well, I, I just have faith that everything's going to work out. I'm building my faith. Right? We say that all the time. And sometimes we fall into this rust where when we say that, man, I am just building my faith. It, it actually means nothing. You know what that means? That means I am just too tired, too stressed out. I, I ain't got time to face this. 
I'm just going to play the faith card. Because if I play the faith card, if I play the faith card, everybody will just back off and leave me alone. Right? Because you go to somebody and, they're, and you talk to them about something and their answer is, well, I'm just building my faith. I've got faith. What are you going to do? You're going to say, I ain't touching that. And don't get me wrong, faith is a must. It's a must. But the type of faith we have to have is we have to have a courageous faith. That's real faith. Naaman in this story, many of the decisions he made was because he was proactive and he had a courageous faith. And here's here's what faith Here's what a courageous faith looks like in our own individual life sometimes. It's not these big, big stories of, man, I was supernaturally healed after this great prayer I prayed. Here's what courageous faith looks like sometimes. It, it, it looks like joining a life group when, when you don't like to meet new people. I know I, that's kind of funny, and I get the chuckles, but that's, that's what it is. That's, that's, that's what courageous faith looks like. It looks like maybe signing up for growth track when you're too busy, or you got too much going on, or that's beneath you. Or courageous faith looks like signing up to volunteer at a church when you've been hurt by the church in the past. And I could use hundreds of examples. But that's what courageous faith looks like. That's what Naaman's faith looked like. I'm going to believe this captured servant girl, even if it's for the wrong reason. I don't know what his reason was. But even if his reason was, you know what? I have no hope whatsoever. I am down to the last straw. I am down to the last inch of my rope. I've tried everything. I might as well try what this lowly servant girl who we just captured has to say. She seems like she knows what she's talking about. I don't know what his reason was. Sometimes when we walk out our lives with courageous faith, sometimes we have to take a step when we're not really sure it's going to make sense. We have, to be, we have to be more of a heart of, hey, I, I am a Christ follower, not just a Christian. There's a difference between the two. There's lots of Christians out there, lots of them, and that's great. There's lots of Christians. There's a less number of Christ followers. And I think the difference, the difference between just a Christian and a Christ follower isn't that the Christ follower knows, knows what to do and the Christian doesn't, or the, or the Christ follower has more information and the Christian doesn't. I believe both are hearing from God. Both know what the godly thing to do is. But a Christ follower has a courageous faith. And sometimes a Christian just has a faith that sounds good, 
and I can use as a buzzword when I'm talking to my Christian friends. Hey, life is, life is messy. Life is muddy. Life is not perfect. And if life is messy and life is muddy, and it is, you, you, might, you might as well get used to playing in the mud. You, you might as well get used to being messy. Walk through this life with a courageous faith. Hey, or put it this way. You, and I hate to, like, this is like a negative tone, but like, you, you're going to make mistakes anyway. You, you, you might as well make mistakes going for it. Look at Naaman, right? He made lots of mistakes. He didn't handle every situation perfectly. When he initially heard that Elijah was just sending a messenger, he ran away, basically. He didn't do it all right. But he did some things right. He kept going. Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. Philippians 4, 12 and 13 says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have to get used to living this way. And, and, and the, the point of that is not, is not the achievement. But the point is having God sustain you in whatever you're going through. Hey, Winston, Winston Churchill once said, hey, if you're going through hell, don't just stand there. Keep going. If you're going through a hard circumstance or a stressful situation, don't just stand there. Do something about it. That's what's going to get you out of it. Number two. He was teachable. Naaman was teachable. He surrounded himself with people that would tell him the truth, not just what he wanted to hear. We have to have people that will tell us the truth, hold us accountable. There's a great quote in leadership, and this goes on for, this could be relative to any person's life, but usually it's a quote with leaders. It says, leaders who refuse to listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. But Naaman was teachable, not only with his inner circle, but he listened to this servant girl. And the servant girl is almost a, a, a side story but let me just digress for just a few minutes because th there might be people in here this morning that you more affiliate yourself with the servant girl. But when you look at her story, right, th th this story just proves this is the type of courage, spiritual courage, that, that we need to live our lives. Again, she was captured by this guy. She was a servant. She had no money, no power, no influence, no nothing. Yet she has the courage to go to Naaman's wife and say, hey, I know a guy that can heal your husband. 
That's courage. Can you imagine what would have happened to her if he wasn't healed? What would have happened to her if her God didn't show up the way she knew he would? That takes a little more than faith, agreed, to step out with something like that. That, that, That's a courageous faith of what she did. And it just proves that one seemingly insignificant person following God's direction, doing a courageous act, can make a big difference in a person's life and a big difference in growing God's kingdom. So what was, again, sticking to the servant girl, what what was different? So something had to be different about her for Naaman to listen, right? Again, he's this great man, powerful man, probably pretty strict, probably probably pretty domineering. He's not just going to listen to, to any little bitty servant girl who's got something to say. Matter of fact, they probably wouldn't even talk to him. But what, here's just a few points on what she must have been like for Naaman to listen. She had to be super, super confident in what she was saying. She had to be so confident in the supernatural God that she was talking about that Naaman somehow had to feel that. There had to be a conviction on him to say, holy cow, this servant girl is so confident about the God that she, she serves that I have got to have that experience. Now, the, uh, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that, but when you think about it, that, that has to be in play here. The other thing is, She had to be credible to Naaman. I have to assume that if Naaman in his position is to listen to her in her position, that her authenticity, her credibility, the way she was a servant, carried out whatever duties those were, they had to be far superior than any other servant he had ever had. Just had to be. Here's my point about the servant girl, and here's my point to us, that it doesn't matter how maybe insignificant you think the things that God has called you to do. You may think they're not that big of a deal, but they're a huge deal. You think this little bitty servant girl was out to do something great? So that her, that her name would appear in the Bible? You think that was her ultimate goal? I hope not, because she failed. You know why she failed? Because her name's not actually even in the Bible. I have no idea what her name is. She does this unbelievable, significant thing. Yet her name doesn't even appear in the Bible. The only thing that we can control in our lives 
is what God has specifically called us to do. Big or small, it doesn't matter. The reality of those situations are, you may think it's small, you have no idea the largeness of whatever God's called you to do is going on in reality. Hey, just by, just by being a, a, a servant and having a servant's heart, hey, I, I believe that one day we're going to get to heaven and some, I don't know how this will all work, but somehow we're going to get some sort of glimpse of all the people that we touched in crazy ways just by living out a life that God's called us to live. There's going to be all kinds of things. And we're just going to be like, I didn't know that was going to happen. That's the point. It's not up for you to know what's going to happen. What's up to us is to be a Christ follower. And whatever God tells me to do, that I carry it out to the best of my ability. The bottom line is Naaman was teachable. He was teachable. We've been talking about a life of devotion. A life of devotion is living a life that's teachable. That we're constantly a student of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. A life of devotion is a life of submission to all that He's called us to do. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of being humble. And we have to humble ourselves before God to be devoted to Him. We should be living a life of submission. We should never seek a display of God's power without totally submitting and surrendering to Him. Here's a great example in Luke chapter 5 of what being humble and really submitting. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy, and this is not Naaman, this is just another, another person, who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and, impl- and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand, this is Jesus, then he put out his hand And touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Here's what happens in this story. Don't miss this part. Jesus touched him. Jesus' authority was overriding any law that there ever was. The law said was, if you had leprosy, you were unclean. You, you You were untouched. No one could touch you. And what does Jesus do to this man who says, Lord, if you are willing, heal me. What does Jesus do? He touches him. One touch. One touch from Jesus can lead to our breakthrough. But the Lord, the the man that was healed... What did he say? All he said, Lord, if you are willing, he's saying, I am submitting to you. I am giving you all the authority. You have it anyway. I'm not telling you 
how I'm expecting to be healed. He's saying, Lord, if you are willing. Sometimes in our lives, we're asking for a touch from God. That if God moved in that way or we got the answer in the way we wanted it, it would probably be detrimental to our lives anyway. We have to have enough courageous faith and submission and obedience that says, Lord, I am willing, however you want to touch me, however you want to lead me, I'm all in. I'm following you because I know that your plan for my life is far greater than any plan I could ever come up with. We need to be humble, we need to be obedient, we need to be devoted. If you need healing, who dips yourself in a river seven times and thinks that's going to work? Right? That's crazy. Now, I'm a pretty faith-filled guy. I think at times I can act on some courageous faith. I'd admit it. Courageous faith for me would maybe be dumping, dipping myself in that river one time. Maybe two times. Maybe on a really good day, maybe three times. But probably after about the third time I dip myself in the river, I've been thinking to myself, wait a minute. Who's the fool here? I'm about done making a fool of myself. You think I'm going to do this four more times? I've already done it three times. People think I'm crazy. People are laughing at me. I was super excited in the first dip. There was a big crowd. They were excited with me. They were in awe. They were waiting to see what happened. They were watching for my healing. When I came up after the first dip, they're kind of like looking at me like, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. After the second dip, the crowd got smaller. After the third dip, man, there's nobody there. My wife even left. I mean, Naaman goes seven times because it's exactly what God had told him to do. It doesn't have to make sense. We just have to be obedient in the big and in the small. And then when we see God's power working in our lives, when we actually see God's power working in our lives, lots of this other stuff, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we know the one that we answer to. Number three, he changed his mind. Naaman changed his mind. He adapted, he developed, he grew. As he's on this process of following Christ, he gets more courage, more courage, and more courage. And he allowed God to work on him. The people who remain teachable, the people who continue to grow in this book and grow in the things of Jesus Christ, these are the people that live a life 
of even unexpected blessings. Man, things are just happening. Things are just happening. They're having an experience with Christ. And most of these times when you see somebody that's really on fire, and I hate to even use that on fire, it's like too spiritual, but where everything's going great, right? You, you can tell that their relationship with Christ is awesome. And maybe they're, having, maybe they're having material success or worldly success. And you ask, man, how did you do that? You know what usually their answer is? I, I don't really know. I, I did a bunch of little things that God had called me to do. And the next thing I know, it, it kind of all worked out. God just kept showing up. And we say that a lot, right? God, God, man, God just keeps, keeps showing up. Well, God doesn't just keep showing up. God is there all the time. You just tend to recognize him in those moments. It's not like that, hey, man, God, God just showed up. He, he was there, is there, and is always going to be there. The question is, are you going to be there? Am I going to be there? Am I going to dip myself in the river seven times? Am I just say, that, that, that's crazy. That doesn't work in 2024. I'm going to do it my own way. But his obedience and submission led to his healing. Hey, in life, all these experiences matter. I have to assume when Naaman was walking through this process, he had to be thinking of probably all the other times in his life where he was questioning things or had an issue, and God just kept showing up. That's a good exercise for us, I think, sometimes. When we're looking at the next hurdle, we're looking at the next circumstance we overcome. Sometimes it's like we forget that, that God has done way bigger things in our life in the past. And we forget to think, man, God has always been there. He led me through this. He led me through that. Even in times it didn't make sense. When I was obedient and submitted myself to him, it, it all worked out. It all worked out because we humble ourselves to let God work in his ways that many times they don't make sense. They don't need to make sense to us. But they always make sense to him when we're walking them out day by day, moment by moment. Worship team, you can come back up. I'm going to end with this, this one scripture in Psalms 145. In Psalms 145, starting in verse 8, I think this is this is just a great reminder of how deep God's love is for us and what the depths of the way God thinks about us. And I think many times we just live through life and we're going through the motions and we're going through the circumstances and we forget, we forget his thoughts towards us. 145, starting verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger 
and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look unexpectedly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. Here's my final question that I would ask of us this morning. What is God speaking to each and every one of us? That we need to have the courage to act on. What is God speaking to you that you need to be teachable? That you need to maybe change your mind on some things? And I'm not saying, for many of us, I'm not saying, hey, you have to reinvent your life. I'm saying sometimes it, it starts with s- some little tweaks, some little changes. But what, what, is, what is God showing us that we need to be courageous? What, what are we maybe missing? I mean, I, I need a God-ordained plan, not, not just a good plan. I need need to be living a life of devotion to Him. And a life of devotion many times looks like a a life of being a servant and and a life of being humble and a life of being teachable and a life of being obedient. And then when we do this, kind of like <clears throat> when I said this morning after worship, I can live my life in all those ways, humble, teachable, servant-like, submission to Christ. And I have no idea how it's going to turn out. That's actually not my job. But in living like that, what the Bible tells me is, man, it's going to be a good plan. It's going to be a way greater plan than anything that I can come up with. And don't take me for a softy. I can come up with some good stuff. But I don't know where the result's going to land. But I can live my life in a constant state of, it is well with my soul. let's, Let's be courageous. Let's have courageous faith. Amen.